Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to Back Chat, part two, John Worsfold. Yes, I know you love part one. Well, here to tell you, part two is a little bit better. We did this live at the Whippersnapper Distillery in East Perth, so... It was in front of a live audience. Um, you can hear the laughter in the background. This is his coaching career. Coached across three clubs, four actually, Carlton, West Coast, Adelaide and Essendon. One flags, one spoons, assistant, shipped in to fix culture. Um, as you can imagine, there's some cracking stories in here and it's a great episode. Uh, this will wrap up the John Worsall. We don't have a secret part three coming to you. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Give us a rating and follow Backchat on YouTube to watch all of our episodes. Uh, tell your mates. If you like what we do, tell them. They'll tell their mates and we'll have this absolutely gigantic audience of all heights and great things. Stop looking at me like that, Dan. Enjoy it. <laughs> Became coach of Carlton, assistant coach, 2000, 2001. Um, <clears throat> I'm assuming you learn a lot. You were under David Parkin at that time, another legendary coach in the AFL. Towards the back end, um, <laughs> apparently, David Parkin reportedly threatened to quit after President John Elliott revealed it on the footy show. Not not to David, but on the footy <laughs> show. And that, that, at that time, the footy show was was footy. That, that was how anyone knew anything about anything. John Elliott, the president at the time, went on there... Said that David Parker wouldn't be coaching next year. You were an assistant coach at the time. Yeah. Do you remember that? Not really. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, there was a couple of things that that sort of happened around around that period. But um, when I was appointed at uh, at Carlton, I'd been talking to uh, their CEO. Um, I must have met Jack Elliott at some point, but I was talking mainly to their CEO. Um, around the possibility of joining the club and then I agreed to and I think in the background uh, David Parkin was always already talking to another potential assistant coach that that he had targeted um, and I don't know if they were communicating with each other they both had agreed it or got people to agree to come on as assistant coaches I, I don't know how true it is but um, and then I was announced as a new assistant coach for the following year while they were in the finals and I think Parko thought, why well, would we be talking about who's coaching us next year? Who wouldn't have been happy? Well, Neither would you have been as a head coach. No, no. I, like I would have – and, and I, I don't know why they had to announce it then, but um, they did. And Parko got a bit grumpy, not at me, but uh, at, the, at the club for that. But 
um, have a great relationship with Parker. Yeah, I, I caught up with him in Melbourne about three weeks ago, and yeah, we we uh, like just have a really strong relationship. Um, you finish your time as Carlton head uh, assistant coach, and and you, you're ready or touted as ready as a head next head coach. We're seeing that right now in the AFL with a few coaches moving on. We've got the assistant coaches coming up. So that's you at this time. You, West Coast legend, who will ever forever be West Coast man, were meant to coach the Freo Dockers. Not Well, I was... Well, Neil Craig had the West Coast <laughs> job, didn't he? Su- well, supposedly, and, and, yeah. And supposedly you had yeah. the Freo job. Yeah, I didn't have the Freo job, but I was in the last two or three. Um, so you interviewed for that? I interviewed for that because they were both looking for a coach and they had both asked if I would present, so I did present to both. How did that feel? I mean, you know, in purple probably, I'm assuming? Feel- I certainly didn't wear purple to the interviews, not at that stage. <laughs> I would have adopted it, and, like, begrudgingly, but... With a polo. Um, yeah, I was going through uh, and presenting as well as I could um, for both roles, and, um, yeah, the Fremantle roles, I was in, a, I'm not sure, I think in the last three, and they, they probably had another step or two to go, and West Coast offered me the job, um, which uh, I still weighed up, like, which is the better job, which is which is um, going to be best for me, the fit, for where the clubs are at, for what I want to try and what I would try and do, looking at the lists and what they had in place. And I really couldn't split it. I thought they were both really in similar positions. They were both at the bottom of the ladder at the time, but had really good young kids coming in. I think Pav was brand new at Frio, West Coast had just got uh, the previous year, I think, added a 17-year-old Daniel Kerr um, and had obviously a high pick Cousins going into – Yeah, yeah. That, so it was a pretty good young list, both of them. Um, yeah, so in the end it was – there's no guarantee. If I stay in the Fremantle race, there's no guarantee I'll win that job, but I've got a job offer here and I can't really split it. The one thing was, am I going to be comfortable coaching – Glenn Jakovic, Ashley McIntosh, Drew Banfield, Michael Braun, guys that I'd played with. Your teammates. Yeah, um, obviously Jakovic, McIntosh, Matera, all dual premiership teammates. Um, Drew Banfield in the 94 premiership. And then um, some of the other younger guys, which I wasn't too fussed about, but like Cuz and Gardy and Michael Braun had come late in my career. But I, I needed to be comfortable that uh, my authority would be strong enough to bring that group together and have the support of those older players. And in the end, I think um, them knowing me for who I was uh, was a real benefit that they were just great senior support players for me. Sorry to um, go back into playing for a sec, but I just thought, do you, do you remember when Frio came into the competition and what that dynamic was like from becoming the one-team town to then having to share that? Yeah, I sort of do remember them talking about it. And in the year leading up to it we were just a bit nervous about them trying to poach a lot of our players uh, we had a heavy Fremantle um, based group of, of gun players like Peter Sumage and Glenn Jakovic and David Hart and um, Michael Brennan and Chris May Waring and you could go through many of those guys um, Peter Wilson we were we were nervous any of these guys I'm just waiting for the guys who they get they get anyone um, Zorba <laughs> I don't think they got anyone in the end. I'm not. I'm not really sure. David Hines went down there. Um, someone went there as a trade for Phil Matera. They gave Phil Matera up um, right. to us. I can't remember who it was, but um, yeah, there was a couple uh, 
maybe Tony Gordon, um, Daniel Metropolis, David Hines ended up at Frio. Um, but none of the players that were um, Fremantle-based players that, that I was talking about, Jakovic, Sulmidge, and none of those guys. Um, so that was our, our first concern. Um, the, the sort of sharing the limelight in the town didn't worry us too much. Like, um, yeah, that wasn't really a big issue. It was, um, it was really just saying, uh, okay, they're, they're going to compete for sponsorship, membership, so we just want to make sure we still hold ourselves really strongly as a club and, and keep our numbers up. I look across the AFL at <clears throat> premiership sides that have come and gone and there's always a period before that, 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 that the, the group grows together. So you come into the football club when you do, you speak about some of the young guys, young Daniel Kerr, young Chris Jard, you keep going. Do, do, you, do you reflect on that time that you have with that group before you get to 05, losing a grading and, and winning one in 06? Like building that group. Like yeah, They're definitely. your players, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, yeah, I mean... Um, a young Darren Glass who took a year or two to probably two years before he became a regular in the team, in and out of the team. Um, give him an opportunity, have a look at him. He was dropped, get some games under his belt in the waffle, come back in for a few, just see it. And, but watching him grow into the player and then the captain he became was, was pretty special. Um, Rookie Dean Cox behind Michael Gardner. Yeah, yeah, watching Coxie grow into the number one ruckman, um, just at our club, you know, he only had to beat really one other person to do that, but then yeah. he became the great ruckman of the competition mm. and a bit of a groundbreaker. Um, so there was a lot of those examples. Seen a couple of young South Australians come in, in Sam Butler and Bo Waters, uh, and playing as teenagers in the um, 2006 Premiership um, was pretty special. So you can sort of roll through so many little stories like that. Um, but yeah, 2000. And, um, Two, three, and four, we finished eighth. Like we, we made the finals and got knocked out first week of the finals. So we were going all right. And through that time, we were experimenting. We were giving players opportunities, trying to see who were going to be the serious, who were going to grab the spots and become regulars in the team to make us a great team. Um, so that's why we would play a young Darren Glass, just trying to see is this, how good is this kid going to be? Is, is he going to become the player we want him, we hope he'll become and, and hold down full back for a long time. Um, it took us a couple of years to see that in him. Um, and in that meantime, we were giving other guys an opportunity. Some guys that were older than him, already more mature, so they physically could compete better but probably weren't as talented in the one-on-one stuff as what Glassy became. So, um, you know, I think in 2005, we left Rowan Jones out of the team for a big chunk of the year as we gave other younger players the opportunity to say, is there any young star in here that is going to make us better as a team going forward? Mm. Um, in the end, those guys didn't grab the opportunity to the level we thought they needed to, and Rowan Jones came back into the team and helped us win a grand final in 2006. Um, so all those little stories were happening along the way. 2005, Leo Barry takes the mark. What's the reaction in the coach's box? Um, yeah, obviously that nailed it, that, that shut the game down. Um, even if we were, probably weren't expecting anyone to mark it because it was a big pack, even if the ball came to ground, it was going to be a bit of a freak if someone could crumb it and snap a goal. Um, so we were just in hope. Uh, but it was, it was a pretty outstanding grab. Uh, I hate saying that. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, we gave it a crack, you know. We we had lost Phil Matura going into the game. Um, he was our leading goal kicker, so we went in without our leading goal kicker. Quentin Lynch didn't play. Um, I think he was either coming off some soreness. Um, so we had a, a young Travis Gasper playing centre forward for us, I think. Um, it was a backman. Yeah, and hadn't played a lot of footy. Um, yeah, so, so we went in with a bit of a patched-up team, um, but took up a great fight. You know, Curry got injured in the first quarter and sort of sat out two quarters before, as Daniel Wood just said, I don't care if my leg's broken, just let me try and get out there and help. Um, so, uh, yeah, things didn't go our, our way in that game, but we, we fought it out and very proud of the boys, the way they went about it. And, and that fighting spirit carried through to the next year. Why, why, did you, why do you think with you and Sydney you had such a crazy rivalry? Like every game was close and obviously that extended into 2006 as well. What was it about Sydney that you guys just went like nose to nose with each other every yeah, time? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Uh, there was a couple of things that were going on in 2005 and probably in 2006. Um, flooding was a big thing in the game through that period, maybe 2004 as well, um, where teams would just roll back straight behind the ball and every time you kicked it inside your forward line, it was just congested and they would try and then get it and fast break and score. Um, us and Sydney didn't really play that way. We didn't subscribe to the flooding game style. Um, so we played a bit more traditional positions, which meant we were a bit more man-on-man. -man. There was a lot more really good one-on-one -on -one contests across the ground. Um, so I think that's why. I mean, it, it's, it's always interesting because the two teams that didn't really go into the flooding played in those two grand finals two years in a row. Not that we were miles ahead of everyone, but we had stuck to doing something against the grain of what other clubs thought was the way to go. Um, but we're obviously evenly matched, um, you know, with uh, Bolton and Kirk and Goods running through the Sydney midfield with our players matching up. Um, and, you know, Barry Hall and Michael O'Loughlin, two gun forwards. They, they probably had us covered in that area. Lynchy and Ash Hansen, probably not quite as big a names as O'Loughlin and Hall. Uh, but we had Glass and Hunter as key defenders who have matched up on their key forwards really well. Um, so there was just, it was just evenly matched, really good lineup, um, both teams. What, what do you remember of um, Staker getting hit in the face by Barry Hall? Oh, I think everyone was just in shock. Like, did that just happen? That, that's certainly what we remember. And you, and you do feel for your player. You know, like, he was badly hurt. Um, there's nothing you can do. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a horrible position to be in where you, you feel helpless. Um, you really can't do anything. But you, want, other you wanted than, to run out on the, on the ground? <laughs> yeah, I sort of, yeah. I, don't know, I think I got a bit more sensible. Then Barry Hall was like, yeah, a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, I even, like, Bo Waters did run up to have a crack at him. And even Bo looked like, I just got to keep my distance. You know? like, it's like trying to grab a taipan snake or something like that. Like, make out as though you want to have a crack at it, but you're always out of reach. I'm fairly sure 2005, you lose a grand final. I'm pretty sure I'm right. 2005, you head to London for an uh, exhibition match against the Dockers, which was some sort of pseudo exhibition, some sort <laughs> of pseudo footy just trip. Poor planning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was poor planning. Put it within three weeks of the grand final. Uh, not sure how you know, the sobriety of most players would have been, but you're know, the coach, so I guess that's on your standards, John. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> don't look at me like I that. I played in a couple of those games. So I knew what was going on. Don't worry. I played in, I think, two exhibition games in London. One, one, one moment that I've sort of come across a few times, across a few chats with people, is um, Frio, were, Frio weren't in the grand final in 2005 and, and they, were, they were set to ruffle some feathers. And a few in particular... One in very particular, you ended up coaching later on in your career, <laughs> Mr. Crowley. You ended up coaching him at Essendon, I think. But they, they were instructed to go and ruffle some feathers, and especially younger, younger Eagles. And from what I've told, and I'm asking you, you weren't too happy about it. Did you, uh, make, you make, perhaps make your way down to opposition coaches' boxes? Yeah, I may have, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Fremantle, Fremantle approached us before the game and said, let's, like, let's make this... Um, it's obviously an exhibition game. Uh, rather than just trying to win, let's make let, let's share teams. Like you tell us your starting lineup, we'll give you our starting lineup. So we can sort of get young players on young players and older. Right. So we said, hey, yeah, whatever, that, that's fine. Let's do that. Um, so we did that, and then Fremantle went and lined up all their old players, knowing where our young players were, and started to bash them up. So straight away, I'm thinking that's a dirty act. You know. <laughs> Seriously, we're in London and you're trying to play tricks like that. So, you know, before the ball was bounced, I was fired up. <laughs> and uh, then they started bashing and crashing. And every time one of our younger players got hit, I was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And then it just got to that point where I got up out of my chair and I walked out of the... But we weren't in coaches' boxes because it's not a footy ground. It's right. a cricket ground. They're all just private, like, suites where people go and sit and have a cup of... You know, tea and scones. Um, so I walked out of ours and I thought, I'm going to go and like have a chat to the Frio coaches. So I'm walking down this corridor and I came to the first door next to ours and I just bashed it open, like smacked it, and it slammed open and there's all these English people just in there having their scones. And like, oh, excuse me, <laughs> went out. So I went to the next door and I didn't bash it quite as hard. I was sort of almost like, Opened it. Who's in this one? No, it wasn't them. You know, so I gave the next one. I don't know. It took me about four doors before I found them. So now I'm really angry because I thought they were hiding. Like, so now, like, I wasn't even uh, calming down as I was walking along. I was getting angrier. And I just remember, like, bursting in and saying, like, swearing at them, what the is going on and what are you blokes trying to prove? And I'm looking at um, Chris Connolly, who's the coach, and I'm saying, oh, actually, Steve Malaxis, who's my old captain at West Coast, and a mate, and a good, good um, Eagles man, you know. But he was an assistant at Freo at the time. And as I burst in, I was looking angry. Stabber said, "Try to do the right thing, mediate, you know. Hey, we should calm down. Stabber, I'll knock you out first." <laughs> <laughs> and he just went quiet. <laughs> and uh, so then I had to go at Connolly, and Connolly just said. Hey, I'm not coaching. Uh, Kelly O'Donnell's coaching him today. <laughs> so he's throwing Kelly under the bus. Um, yeah, anyway, I was just carrying on and whatever. Like, yeah. Then I walked out, went back to our box. So yeah. had a big crack at him and, yeah, went back and um, that was it. Sounds yeah. like you got played by the, the Fremantle coaching staff. <laughs> yeah, Careful, yeah, no, Careful, Definitely. Mind <laughs> uh, oh, you, yeah. I, I, yeah, no, I won't go any further than that. <laughs> Please do. Please do. <laughs> I know Daniel Chick and Andrew Ember were getting pulled off buses at the end of the game and Ember's was tackling people out in the field. And Yeah, Ember's didn't actually play um, the game. He was in the crowd. And then after the game, we were watching the crowd. They all ran onto the ground. They are all doing kick to kick. And next thing we saw, this bloke taking hangs on the far side of the ground. It was Ember's in a pack just with drunk 
Englishman, you know, and he was he was dominating, which you'd hope. You would have hoped because 12 months later he won a Norm Smith medal, but he was out there just carrying on with, with king of the pack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very good, mate. Um, 2006, great year for the football club, a premiership year. Um, I think you changed captains that year, cousins to Judd. Yep. And, and, and there's, there's probably two sides to this. The on-field performance, elite, and, and you win a flag. Couldn't get any better. And then there is some noise at that stage and that continues on in 2007 about the off-field culture um, at the footy club. Um, another big issue that happens at the football club, Will Schofield's drafted at the end of 2006. That probably rates right up there for you. Um, <laughs> what are your reflections on that period of time, that the success on-field, the issues you had to deal with off the field and Will Schofield being drafted at the football club? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, jeez. You were skinny. You were, that's, yeah. that's what I remember. Yeah, I was. Oh, that's yeah. You drafted me. Like, like, seriously, I don't care that he won the 1500 or the 400 or whatever you won. 800, like, actually. Yeah, I don't care. Put Jet some weight knows. on him. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a tough period. It was a really tough period. We had a good squad. Um, but, yeah, we had the issues that uh, were becoming more obvious with Ben um, and more uh, observable, you know, th- with some of his actions. Um, and... and like, as much as we were trying to hold him to account, we were also trying to support him, committing to trying to overcome those those issues. Um, and we took his word for it, that he was committed to trying to do what the team had um, all agreed to, the way we wanted to behave and, and act. But, uh, you know, Ben's situation wore him down over 2005, six, and then probably got to its worst in 2007. Um, so it was tough trying to... Uh, keep everyone upbeat about trying to win a premiership while dealing with some of those issues. Um, well, all of those issues and getting that balance right and not hiding them, um, being as upfront as we could with the players with the knowledge we had um, and dealing with that. So, um, yeah, look, it was it was tough, but I think we handled it pretty well. Um, I wouldn't say we got everything perfect, but uh, yeah, you're right, at the end of... I think it was at the end of 2005 or early in 2006, we took the captaincy off Ben, which he wasn't happy about, but we had to make that call at that stage. He wasn't the right person to lead our footy club. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we acted on that. Um, Chris Judd took over the captaincy um, and, you know, away we went from there. But it was a, it was a challenging time all the way through, even up to um, having to make the decision to cut Ben from the club at the end of 2007, I think. Uh, it, it was pretty tough to do. But um, like I said, all the way through that, we try to support Ben uh, where we, as much as we could in terms of beating his habit um, and trying to stay committed to the club. But he had. we were also expecting him to show 100% commitment to trying to get himself right while he was there. And we weren't seeing that towards the end. How did you feel when... Um he started playing for Richmond. Were you happy to see him? I was happy to see him back. Yeah. Yeah, but sad to see him not in an Eagles guernsey. Um, yeah, so it, it was sort of mixed feelings, eh? but um, it was it was definitely good to see him back playing footy. Ultimate, ultimate success in 2006 as a coach. How does that uh, match ultimate success as a, as a captain and as a player? It's certainly a different feeling. Um, very rewarding, both of them. Um, but as a coach, it's a bit more um, one pride of the playing group. 
so you're like a proud dad sitting up there. Um, but also knowing the bond that those guys are, have formed by becoming premiership players together, um, it, knowing that that's what it's all about. It's, um, you know, you, you're just like anywhere in the country, you're just a group of footballers trying to be the best in your competition um, in that year. Um, and it's a really special feeling when you when you get there because it's not one just in that year. It's one in the previous three, four or five years of hard work and commitment and seeing what they'd done from when I'd started coaching them and what they'd committed to and the training regime we'd put them through. Um, it was a great reward for them. I asked you about the Leo Barry moment, <clears throat> how you felt in the coach's box. What about... You know, there's a few moments, the, the Stephen Armstrong moment that he'd brought into the side in finals uh, and, and the you know, Daniel Chick, Adam Hunter moments. Can, can you recall those? Like how you actually yeah, felt I do. when that was happening? Yeah, well, I remember like um, Army had played a, a bit of footy that year for us um, and so had Mark Lacroix, who was really young. Um, and I think Army was on our rookie list. He'd uh, come back um, after being delisted from Melbourne and been through the Bali bombings issues um but he was a talented a talented player army so um yeah when he latched onto that ball i was confident like he would kick that snap that goal which he did and that's what he was there for so it was a rewarding feeling to see him do that because it was a tough call to leave lecker out of the the last couple of finals um and then yeah the 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 hunter chick goal was yeah just a phenomenal moment of just selflessness team play um and yeah it created that that wonderful goal but you know there was there was a couple of other incidents Bo Waters going back um to take a mark above his head after his he'd really hurt his shoulder pretty bad in the game and was struggling to get it above his head but went back and took that mark uh, at three quarter time I remember Juddy getting his shoulder strapped and I'm looking over thinking uh I, I'm pretty sure his shoulder had popped out and gone back in and it's like I'm asking the docs, is he going to be right to play? And Juddy's just looking at me going, I'm right to play. And he went on and kept tackling and kept doing his clearance stuff in that last quarter. Um, he couldn't really lift the Premiership Cup with two hands above his head because that shoulder was just so shot. That's how um, sore he was post-game. And um, even Tyson Stengline uh, was up all night with diarrhoea the night before the game. And the docs were telling us at 7 a.m., we don't think he's going to be right to play. And he was a key part of the way we structured up for our midfield. So we were sort of panicking about that. Um, and the call was if, if he can eat some toast at, at 8 o'clock and keep it down, we'll let him play. So, like, I think I had my hand over his mouth. <laughs> I think I got someone to cover the other hole. <laughs> so keep that... John Wells got holding holding throat. Yeah, no, no, Jamie yeah, throat. yeah, yeah, yeah. Throat hole. No throat. vomiting stinger. You got to keep that taste down, mate. Um, but he ended up playing like he was so dehydrated and crook after the game. He couldn't join the celebrations or anything. He was like seriously ill. Did you know David Wirapunda did his hamstring in the first quarter? Um, Wirra did that a couple of times throughout the year, but seriously, uh, like we would always go, "That's just Wirra." But the docs would say, "No, he's actually." He actually, they'd go and scan him the next week and say, he actually has done a hammy. Um, but we were, was, was a bit of a freak. He could get through that sort of stuff. So, Crazy. And he did a couple of wonderful little little hard effort things that just got the, kept the ball alive and got it to a teammate as well for us. We had him he on, started in the forward line. Yeah, we right? well, we had him on this podcast yeah. and he, the whole week wasn't going to play. 
hamstrings done, tested it out, got him. He, he played, and the first incident he had, he went to pick a ball. I mean, he reckons he just completely torn his hamstring. Yeah, and then he <laughs> yeah. continued to play. And he was, I've watched the game. He's, he's in incidents. He's continued on. Lewis Jetta's here, everybody. By the way, he's up the back just hiding up. <laughs> Lewis Jetta, Jeff boy, in the 2018 Grand Final. He did both his calves, absolutely did both his calves. I remember him speaking to me halfway through the third quarter on the ground. I'm trying to do my fucking job on Jordan Ngoi. Jet Boy came up to me, hey, brothers, how you going? I was like, oh, yeah, just concentrating at the moment, mate. It's nearly the grand final. Uh, he said, oh, I've done both my calves. I said, oh, you're all good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, brothers. Oh, no worries. <laughs> so I know what we were talking about. The only other moment I want to speak about, um, and you may not have much, there, there was a ball very late in the game. Daniel Kerr, in all his wisdom, great player, unbelievable, has turned inboard and kicked one into the middle of the ground. Yeah, This came across my socials not long ago. And there's a one-on-one contest in the middle of the ground and you're up by less than a goal, less than a minute left. And the man who, who wins that ball is Rowan Jones. Mm, yeah. um, and, and I think he's someone that the players and the coaches have a lot of respect for. Sometimes by fans, um, not not as much respect. He was a big part of what you guys did that year, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was a huge part of the team. And that moment. Yeah, no, that, that moment was a game saver. I don't know <laughs> what Curry was thinking. That was like that seriously gave us a heart attack. He go. He, he kicked he, on his left. Would be better if he actually him. kicked it backwards their way along the boundary line. Just don't kick it in the middle of the ground where we're we are so vulnerable. And uh, away he went. Um, but yeah, Rowan got a fingertip on it and kept the ball alive, and um, and we hung on. Um, but Rowan Jones, yeah, he he was uh, a wonderful part of the team. He he certainly wasn't the the superstar, um, but he never let us down in what we were asking from him. Um, and knowing what his role was within the team, uh, he delivered brilliantly. Um, so yeah, people still come up to me and go, "What did you see in Rowan Jones?" You know, and I say, "I don't even bother trying to defend him anymore. I just <laughs> go, he did a great job. He was seriously helping us win that grand final by playing his role." And I often will say, "If we had left him out, you should have seen who was going to replace him." But it was probably a really skinny Will Schofield, although you went on the <laughs> no, I wasn't on the list. Anyway, there, so you get it. I can't use that one. But um, <laughs> said, uh, "Yeah, you would have hated the player that replaced him even more." Yes, um, correct. Because generally, yeah, you're not leaving better players out of your lineup. He's doing all right for himself. He's on the board of directors at the moment of the West Coast. So he'll say he's fine. Uh, Are you sure about that? Like, I don't know. Just go. The, the board happy at the moment <laughs> with how well, they're going. Well, so I don't know if he's doing just fine. But <laughs> yeah, he, he is anyway, on the board. He's on the board just, and he's doing a good an exclusive job. here. At some point, right. he was uh, on the board. John Worsfold on the new board. Uh, now <laughs> we'll talk about that. We're going to get into some current footy topics uh, with the cameras off, uh, just for our live audience. For for Thanking you guys for coming down here. We've got to keep moving. I feel like I could talk to you for six hours here, Woosh. Uh, we're going to keep moving. Wooden Spoon 2010. So, um, again, I was there for that one, not for the premiership, just for the, for the 2010 Wooden Spoon. Um, you know, my, my reflections on the time was um, a, lot, a lot of work being done on our culture and, our, and, our, and off the field and, and the way we were as, as human beings. And I look back at it with great pride, really. I, I learned a lot in those first few years. But on the field, it... it resulted in a wooden spoon. Now, the current West Coast Eagles side, who knows what happens this weekend, but they're in a, they're in a decent patch of a, a downturn. Um, we go on and play in a prelim the next year. That wooden spoon into a prelim, do you look at that as, or well, I look at that as, as, as the culmination of the premiership side that goes to 2018 because there's a lot of players in there. 
you were the you were you were head coach at that time. How was that pressure as head coach were side in Australia? Yeah, it was it was intense. In twenty ten definitely there was so much talk about um similar to this year. The Eagles are no good. They're they're miles off being any good. They're gonna have to start from scratch, start the rebuild again, um, clean this list out. There's no talent on it. And I was very bullish on the talent we had on the list. I could see it. I could see in first halves of games, as a really young team, we were taken up to some really good teams and being with them at half time. Then we would drop off and get rolled by 30 points um, in the second half, which happens when, when you run out of steam. But I was measuring on when we're um, tracking at the right fitness level. And we're as good as some of these really good teams and we're young. So I was pretty excited and I was uh, bullish with my media comments that um, you know, we're going to be a really good team really quickly. We'll be back challenging for a flag in three or four years. Um, and yeah, I was made a bit of a mockery, uh, but I seriously believed it. So I wasn't saying it. I didn't really care that the media didn't believe me um, because I could see it. I felt it. And you know, I think in 2010, as much as we won the wooden spoon, I feel as though... In 2011, we made the, the prelim, like you said, and I won the Coaches Association Coach of the Year. Congrats. I seriously think 2010 I co- was my best coaching year because of keeping the players' confidence levels up when they, when they could have been flat. You, it is tough when you're not winning games, but we were going to be no good in the future if they had have just dropped off their training standards and their focus on what we were trying to achieve. Keep working at this game plan, boys, because as you mature, I want you to be good at it. I don't want you to – I'm not going to give you an easier game plan now because you're young. I want you to battle through it so that as you get older, you'll know the game plan back to front rather than wait until you're old enough to play it and then we start learning it. So the the groundwork we did to set that team up all happened in 2010 and uh, the players went into the next preseason – after winning a wooden spoon with a serious positive mindset of loving the work we were doing because they could see – they were hoping at the time. They didn't know how good we were going to be, but um, they trained thinking – the coach says we're going to be a good team. We've done all this hard work last year. Let's see where it takes us. And you get a couple of early wins and away we went and had a wonderful year. About that time, I had a much bigger beard than I have now. Chris Marston had one. Josh Kennedy had one. I think you were called into a board meeting, potentially, um, questioned around why, why, why are some of the players are they are they drug dealers? Are they? <laughs> yeah, they head of themselves. Part, like, what are they are trying they to prove? Part of the Hell's Angels. Yeah. Are they, what's happening? Yeah, what, I think because what was that board meeting? I think it was just talking to a couple of board members. I don't think it was official board meeting, but a couple of board members had suggested that some of the players are getting a bit ahead of themselves, trying to like look like gangsters or whatever, you know, because they're growing beards. Yeah. And, uh, I've always thought that about you, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Gangster. There was a couple of things. You know, one, they were mainly talking about Schofield and Marston. They didn't really bring up Josh Kennedy's name. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he was better. That's yeah. Um, he wasn't getting ahead of himself because yeah. he was in Anyway, just to make my point, I managed to dig up a photo of... Do you know this story? Yes. I dug up a photo of Michael Tuck and Bruce Dool together and on the ground they had premiership cups around them that they'd been involved in. So there was like either – I think it was a nine. Tuck had won five and Dool four premierships. 
they both had beards. <laughs> <laughs> and I showed these to the board member and I said, I don't know, have a look at this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Both got beards, nine premiership cups. One of them's wearing a headband, <laughs> and the other one's wearing a long sleeve jumper. So, like, seriously, they should have been dropped. Those two players, they should not be playing AFL footy. But I think my point got through, whereas, like, forget about that superficial stuff. Your bean wasn't superficial, it was good. But <laughs> Thank um, you, let's measure them on what they're delivering in their actual job. Mm. Um, We've got to keep moving here, Swoosh, because you said you'd like going to bed early. So um, a couple more questions. Um, you, you finish at the Eagles uh, as coach. Um, your reflections on that? Were you ready to finish um, announcing that, finishing up at, at a club that you've been at for you know, the majority of your AFL and, and probably adulthood, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was 24 years as player and coach at West Coast with a three-year gap in the middle when I was over at, um, one year in a pharmacy and two at Carlton. But, um, yeah, it was interesting because uh, I was talking to the club, Nizzy and Alan Kranzberg, the, C, uh, the chairman, around going on and the board had to make a final decision. But um, it was all pretty much like after presentations and everything, it's all good, whoosh, like we'll announce something soon and uh, something didn't sit right with me. Um, like I love the job, love the club, didn't want to do anything else other than coach but there was just um, a little nagging doubt that things were annoying me a little bit, like things that shouldn't have annoyed me, that, that should be just be part of when you love a job, nothing's perfect, there's always little challenges um, and you embrace them. Uh, like I talked about going through 2005, six, seven with Cuzzy and some issues there. It's like, nah, let, let's just do our best, like meet those challenges. But I was at the point where they were really annoying me and I thought if those things, if if anything in this game is starting to annoy me, I'm not the right person to lead this club. That You need someone 100% um, on top of everything. And I felt I was at 95%. So... Um, it just dawned on me one day. I hadn't told anyone. I was thinking about it. Um, but I drove into work and I buzzed Nizzy and I said, can I come up and see you? And he said, yep. So I walked up, walked in his room and said, I'm done. That's it. And we both had a little cry and a cuddle. <laughs> and uh, No way. Then I had to um, ring my wife and say, I just quit my job. <laughs> so she had no idea. Um, Have you told anyone? I hadn't told anyone. No, I had not talked with anyone about it. So too many spies, Skelly. I, just, oh, okay. I didn't know who I could trust. <laughs> so you just, you just called it, walked into Nizzy's office and said, done. Done. How did you feel after, like, as soon as you said it, were you just relieved? Um, I need a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was, 
I, I did feel relief, no doubt. I felt like that's that feels the right thing to have done. Um, and I think that was on a Thursday. And then on the Friday, um, a few of the old 92-94 players, like way before that, had teed up to catch up for lunch. So I'm thinking, I can go to lunch and stay at lunch now. Like up until that point, I was going to have to go and have one beer and go back to work. And then I'm like, I'm tying one on now. I'm... <laughs> Like I'm not. There's no four weeks notice in. Is he? I'm out. Go to the club oh, with the, yeah. the tracksuit on. Oh, now no, it's all yeah, yeah. rumours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it sort of caught a lot of people by surprise. I think I don't. I don't necessarily think it was the right thing to do. But that's just how I did it. And that's um, yeah. Unfortunately, then because it was it shocked people, I had the media camped out on my driveway for the next three days or whatever it was, like harassing my kids and. Um, that wasn't that pleasant, no. you know, just trying to get up the next morning and take your kids to school and they're running up the driveway with cameras and microphones. My kids were young, so um, I understand that's they've they got to do their job, but, um, yeah, it wasn't that nice. The kids the kids remember it. They were quite um, – it was quite daunting for them at the time, as yeah. being little kids. It'd be scary. Uh, fast forward a little bit. So your West Coast is done. Um Phil Walsh was a big part of what we did, especially through that successful period post-Wooden Spoon, uh, especially from a defensive point of view. Um, and he's coaching Adelaide at this stage and, and, and he passes away. You're, you're not in football at all, no. are you? No. So no, what, I was, um, what are your reflections of that time? Oh, obviously just in shock. Yeah. Um, Walsh, when he took the Adelaide job, because I'd finished at West Coast, um, he asked me to go over and just observe what he'd set up. So he obviously started coaching them in October and November. So then by January, I went over there and spent a week with him, uh, talking with his coaches, talking with their footy manager and their CEO, um, just to give Walsh some feedback on how his message was getting through and how, uh, how he'd set things up and if everyone understood their roles which I really enjoyed doing that. And then I obviously came back to Perth and the season started and they were rolling along pretty well. But I was uh, checking in on Walshy regularly um, and uh, you know, basically asking him how he felt he was going and what feedback he was getting. And then um, we were just planning for me to go and spend another four-day stint with them mid-season. And, you know... Um, We'd agreed we wouldn't do it when they came over here to play the Eagles because that would be a big distraction. If, if um, someone sees you, yeah. yeah, if I'm sitting in the Adelaide coach's box for that game. Um, anyway, he unfortunately didn't make that. He passed away the week before that. Um, before that game, that was Adelaide's first game yep. after he passed away. Um, so yeah, it was just a shock, obviously, to hear that that um, get that phone call coming through on the Friday morning. Um, and my, you know, my thoughts were, like, that leaves Adelaide in a, in a mess, obviously. They've got a season to try and play out. And I, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I thought if, if they need some help, uh, I'll be ready to go and help them. Um, and, yeah, the next day, Saturday, Adelaide rang and just told me what they were thinking. We're going to put a young Scott Camparelli, who was a young assistant coach, we're going to ask him to step in for the remainder of the year. Would you be available to come and support the coaches um, as a footy director, that sort of role through the remainder of the year? And I said, no problem. So by Sunday, I was on the plane and went over there for the next three months and helped them through that that period of uh, 
sort of dealing with what had happened and understanding what it all meant, understanding that the footy season was going to roll on. Meanwhile, memorial services and a funeral to, to happen as well. Um, so it was, a, it was such, yeah, just a tragic time, but the AFL world um, was unbelievably supportive again. You know, it sort of showed how strong that AFL community is to support all of the Adelaide Footy Club and the Walsh family through what had happened. Mm. The you know not that you're a parachute in and, and fix things, but you can't help but you look at the Adelaide and you go in and, and you help out there, gets you back into footy really because you weren't in football. And then uh, the Essendon supplement saga goes down basically, and you parachuted in there as well. Um, you know without going blow by blow, your reflections on that decision to go and take that role up because you would have known it was a tough one. Yeah. Having players not playing with you, um, Ryan Crowley who'd been bashing blokes up at London in 20, 2005. That was a hard phone call. <laughs> ring Ryan Crowley and say, I need you. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, you know, going to coach Essendon. Yeah, it was, again, um, yeah, so I came out of that Adelaide situation and as tough as it was, um, it made me appreciate how much I love the AFL again. Um, and yeah, looking at, I'd felt for those uh, Essendon players for the previous two years, watching some of the press conference where there was Joe Watson at a table with all the players standing around him talking about, you know, people are saying we're drug cheats and we've got to face all this stuff and we haven't done anything wrong or, you know, we just did what we thought was all legal and I just felt for those young guys because the footy had delivered for me as a footballer, as a player, um, the greatest moments of my life, most fun, you know, like mm. my whole playing career. And I'm thinking, that, how can the game be doing this to these young footballers? They should be like the happiest they're ever going to be. And they look like they're going through one of the toughest periods that any athlete would ever go through. Um, so I remember sort of watching and seeing that unfold while I was still coaching the Eagles. And then while I wasn't in footy in 2014 and 15, and then... Yeah, when they when Essendon decided that they were going to appoint a new coach, it was a bit like, who wants that job? Like a young coach, it would be such a tough gig to go into. That they, yeah, the 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 whole place was mentally scarred. You know that you were going to have to try and just get the players to trust you as a coach again because they um, would have been challenged in that regard. So. Um, the position I was in was I could easily come back to Perth. I, I wasn't planning to get back into coaching. I could come back and just get on with life and I'd be happy. Um, I'm not going over there to prove myself as a footy coach. I'm going over there just to help the Essendon Footy Club and these players in particular deal with what they've just been through and try and get them back on a level sort of playing field, believe in the game again, believe in the Essendon Football Club and then then let them go, let a new coach come in and hopefully have um, Essendon back to normal and, and away they go. So that was my aim. That's what I spoke to them about. Um, that doesn't mean we went in to just muck around. We went in to challenge ourselves and get the best out of them. Um, but certainly in 2016 when all the players got suspended, it was about getting better but knowing we may not be winning many games this year, if any. Um, but the idea was to, like I said, uh, have the players that were suspended. They weren't allowed in at the club at all. Um, they had to stay right away. But we knew they would talk to the players and we wanted them to 
hear the good stuff that was going on so they would come back to the club the next year because the risk was they all just left. They yeah. would have been getting offers from every club. They're all gun players, you know, Kale Hooker, Michael Hurley, Dyson Heppel, Tom Bell Chambers, you guys. Um, but we got them all back. So that was part of it, um, get those players to commit back to the club by showing them what we were building um, and then help them through their first year back in 2017 when they haven't really been in the AFL system. They're running with the Bulls and checking out a European summer. Um, <laughs> and, and Joe Watson found his wife, you know, so not all bad came out of it. Joe <laughs> hooked up with a New York girl and married her. Um, so anyway, there, there was, it was a challenge. Um, yeah. But it was about, um, yeah, the, those young guys just getting back into footy and believing in the game again, which I think we did. The 2018 grand final, what's that like watching on, um, again, as a player and then a coach of a lot of the guys that play in that game? How do you – where are you when you watch that game? How do you feel? What are your Yeah, I was on? up in Broome. That's the year I unfortunately – well, unfortunately, whatever, but I know I don't look it, but I turned 50 back in uh, 2018. So I was up there just with my family. You're looking good, mate. Yeah, thank great. you, mate. Thank <laughs> you. Um, yeah, just took took the family up to – we all went up to Broome. Um, and so we were at Broome watching the grand final just in a hotel room. Um, yeah, a couple of the kids couldn't watch it. It was – they walked out. They were like, this is too – West Coast fans? Yeah, they, but they were Bombers fans at the time because I was working there. But uh, they, they, uh, they were West Coast fans for the grand final, definitely. Um, Were you going for West Coast? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't barrack for that day. So, um, no, I was I was praying for a West Coast win for sure, and um, yeah, rode every bump and and was quite emotional at the end. Like when I say emotional, maybe like a tiny bit of water in <laughs> one of the eyes. No, not both. Really, mate. I, like Is it hay Mark McCray, you know, I talk about. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was um, windy and. There's all sorts of stuff going on, but um, you knew a lot of the players that played. Yeah, that absolutely. Game. I, I, like, uh, in in 2010, all you guys that went through that wooden spoon, but yourself, Shannon Hearn, who was captain, and uh, Lecker and um, JK Shuey. Yeah, all those guys, and then the guys who came out of the wooden spoon year were um, like Jack Darling. Um, yeah, you know, JK. Even just getting him to the club was hard work to replace Juddy, but then to know that, you know, I, I sort of promised him we would give him every chance to full, have a fulfilling career if he came to West Coast. Um, so to see the career he had, but to win a premiership was, was a good feeling when you, when you make a promise to someone, you yeah. want to try and live up to it. Um, you're telling me you're going to win my flag. I didn't tell him that, but I say, you're going to have a great career <laughs> and we'll give you every chance to be successful. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty special. Even Gov, you know, Gov was a rookie, still a rookie listed player while I was there. And, um, yeah, to see all that unfold was was brilliant. Do you watch much footy as a fan now? Yeah, I, I love the game. I don't, yeah. I don't. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, any game that's on, I'll stop and have a look at it if I can. But I don't, I don't put things on hold because there's it's a good game on. It'll be, no, I'm just doing my own things. Um, that's just bad luck that, you know, um, West Coast are playing North Melbourne at home. It's like, oh, sorry, I can't get to that one, that, <laughs> that blockbuster. Um, but I still love I love it, you know. So, you know, I, I, um, I was riding every bit of 
the game against the Bulldogs last week. I think it was in 2010, Scully. We beat the Bullies yep. in the last game of the year, I reckon. I was uh, first emergency, actually, so that oh, probably yeah. means you didn't pick me. Yeah, you, you, weren't, you, weren't, you didn't have the green vest on? or <laughs> I remember watching it. I was sitting in the stands. It was great. Yeah, yeah it was good to watch. <laughs> so 2010, we won the Wooden Spoon. Uh, up till that point, we'd only won three games. The Bulldogs, we, we were paying like $9 against the Bulldogs that That's day. Right, and this. we went out and rolled them. Yeah. So I was like thinking, don't write West Coast off this week. They've only won two games this year, one less than us that year. Then no chance. But it's the Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium again. And I'm thinking, surely Lightning Were you doesn't... thinking this before this game just Yeah, yeah, on? Lightning can strike twice, mate. Gee. And it did. I was like... Oh, what? I've got one final question to ask you, because I've been dying to ask this uh, in a little bit of a public forum. I bang on and carry on like a pork chop um, at events I do around. Um, that The moment, the, the, the McGovern to Vardy to Ryan to Sheed, the, the, the moment that everyone sees it wins the grand final, I carry on like a pork chop and say that that doesn't happen without me being involved. And I tell this yeah. story about... No, it's true, though. Well, it fucking... Do you hear this? John <laughs> Worsfold said it's true. <laughs> right? Not me, John Worsfold. Most respectable man in Western Australian footy says it's true. <laughs> so it's true. I tell this story, a lot of mayonnaise on it. I go gallivanting down the middle of the MCG. Jordan Ngoi, Jordan see you later. Just like Gary Ablett. My only role is to stop him. But I say, you know what? Time for me to make a name for myself. I've seen what Dom Sheed cops around town. He walks into <laughs> these sorts of rooms, gets clapped in, people bringing him drinks, girls run, running around him. And I thought, well, that's, that's me. I'm going to do that. So I went running down the middle of the ground and this ball goes into the air and Jack Darling, who at that, that time was one of the great contested marks of um, the game and, and he's in a one-on-one contest. And I, I look around, there's no one around. I think I'm going to get the ball to run into the goal square. I'm going to balk, I'm going to spin, I'm going to char- I'm going to bounce, I'm going to do everything. Goal from the goal square. I'm the man that walks into this room. Everyone cheers me in. Will Scoville, grand final hero. I could have had Dom Sheed sitting here instead. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah. But instead, Jack Darling misses the contest. I'm standing in the middle of the MCG doing absolutely fuck all. <laughs> and Jordan Ngo is in the goal square with no man on him. But it goes McGovern, who... Lazy defender, having a couple of pies in the pie stand, will come and take, take the mark, closes his eyes, kicks to Vardy, wearing a shin guard, dumbest person in our team. <laughs> He's a ruckman. You know how ruckman are, Wusher. Um, <laughs> he kicks to Ryan, does what he's meant to do, kicks to Dom Sheed, who plays on, who's shepherded, uh, Willie Rioli shepherds. The umpire has no idea what's going on. Sheeda shuts his eyes, kicks it through the middle of the goals. He's never kicked a goal like that before in his life, and he's... Probably never kick another one ever again. But again, that was meant to be me. But the question, <laughs> the question I'm getting to, Wusha, um, one of my great meetings and lunches I've ever had, it was just near Subiaco Oval. You called me a Masto and said, come and have a, a little baguette down at... Um, Forget me not. Yeah, no, it was at uh, the bakery there. Mary which Street, Mary Street Bakery. Yeah. And you told me a story as the coach of the Essendon Football Club that you had showed the entire, not just the players, but the entire Essendon Football Club, that play that I'm talking about. And you've said that Will Schofield is the reason that these guys win the premiership. Can you confirm on the podcast <laughs> that I'm not a fucking idiot <laughs> and that this happened? Yes, you no, no you're absolutely right. I, I remember clearly looking at what unfolded and obviously everyone watches the the passage of play with the ball, but yeah, I was the, the, the I was intrigued play. about, yeah, how did it happen? How, how, what actually caused it to happen? And so I went further back. 
because you can learn great things out of moments in games like that. And um, I was trying to educate the Essendon team and people around um, one eight years earlier you, you wouldn't have done that as a young player you wouldn't have had the knowledge or the um, instinct to think I'm going to go now and try and make this happen you imagine as a young player you're in a grand Two final you're, hold on, you're just like on your man you are not moving so part of it was understanding that this experienced player has taken upon himself to see an opportunity to create something and he's going to have a crack at it and he's also got the trust that if he gets caught out, the team will cover. If you didn't do that, you're still on the goey. The ball comes down there. Gov's nowhere to be seen because right. he looks around and goes, you're, you're there. You'll punch it out of bounds. Correct. Like I would have. Yes. Ruin the whole game. <laughs> like ruin the whole game. Correct. Gov's down there like going, my man's up there. It's goey. It's goey. I better get back and sort of half covered the goey, which put Gov in that perfect spot, which he does, which is keep your eye on the flight of the footy. And he goes and takes the mark and starts it. But that wouldn't have happened if, if your instinct wasn't to create something otherwise. Um, if you had just stayed at home and played on your man. And I was trying to say, you guys need to grow the courage to know what the team rules are, but also back yourselves in at times and play footy. Just play instinctive footy as much as you can and you won't get um, told off. You, you may have got told off if the goey actually outmarked Gov and kicked that goal. But, right. No, um, I'm not sitting here if he kicks that goal. Mate. But it didn't happen, you know. It didn't happen. Yeah, no, exactly. You're not, yeah. <laughs> so um, there we go. John Westfold's confirmed, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Was this, that 2018? So I'm even waiting five so years. So now, now there's you and I who know what you did to win that grand final. No one else really cares and believes See it. those cameras here? We're yeah. get this right out publicly. I feel like this whole interview <laughs> was set up purely for that moment. <laughs> what? You think I'm here to do a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to confirm my beliefs. It's like speaking to my dad telling, telling me he's proud of me or something. <laughs> it's the greatest moment of my life. Um, Bush... Uh, we could talk to you forever, mate, um, and, and we have had a great conversation. Um, thank you, first of all. John Worsfold, everybody. Thanks very much. There's a couple of last stories to get through here. Social media here, Wush. Not social media, social. You got it? I'm with it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I thought you'd like that. Now, <laughs> social media, this is where we ask the people, and there may be some people here that have put some questions through to ask you the questions. You've heard enough from Dan and I. This is from the people, by the people, for you. You can quick fire them. You can give us some long fire right, answers. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Brady Pond, 18. Uh, what was it like seeing the battles of Wayne Carey v Jacko? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty special. Obviously, two brilliant footballers and saw just a change in the way they wanted to compete. Saw Carey thinking, like, pride, that they tell me how strong Djakovic is, I'll show him up. But <laughs> that was playing into Jacko's hands and he towed him up in those contests. And then Kerry started running him around and Jacko was like, oh, this is a little bit tougher. And um, But, yeah, awesome, awesome contest to watch two young guys. I think Kerry might be one year older than Jacko, maybe, maybe two, but they basically played against each other all the way through their careers. So it was, it was good to watch. Tyler underscore Mudler. Uh, how many weeks would have you got for your hit on Dermy in the 91 grand final? What did you do, Wisher? No, it wasn't a grand final. It was just a, it was a game at Subi Oval, cleaned him up. Um, it was play on. <laughs> no, it was. <laughs> Good point. It was play on. Everyone stopped because they thought, oh, something just bad went down. But then Chris Murray picked the ball up and off he went. Played on. So <laughs> there was no free went. kick. 
Nothing. No, there was no, there was no free kick. No. Clean hit. What'd you do? It's just a little shirt front. <laughs> just a little, little shirt. shirt front. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he and Dermot got up, so it was all good. I don't think. I, I think I would have got in today's game. Maybe two. <laughs> That's very good. Um, we'll do that one a little bit later. Yep. Kareem underscore M. Uh, uh, no, Joshua yep. underscore Kenworthy. Uh, how did the chat with Ryan Crowley go at Essendon? Yeah, it was uh, like I think he was in a bit of shock when you imagine his phone rings and, I, and he picks it up and I say, it's John Warsfold here. And <laughs> he's thinking, what have I done wrong? Is he like going to come to get me or something? But, um, <laughs> yeah, then, then had that conversation with him about – you know, he would have known where Essendon were at. And I was like, do you think you're up for um, getting back into the footy for another year? And um, Yeah, it was good, really good. I enjoyed coaching him. Yeah, I've, I've got to know him after and I hated him. He yeah, was my rival. Yeah. Good man, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dmool underscore 91. Uh, do you have any remorse for making everyone still sleep with the lights on from those you played on in the 90s? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't have remorse, but I do reflect occasionally, like maybe twice in 20 years. That, um, <laughs> I was a little bit over the top. I admit that now. I sort of took it just a little bit beyond what maybe what I should have. Just a bit. <laughs> Gavin underscore Harris, 97. Uh, best malt, uh, malt house spray? Um, it was on one uh, pretty young player. We Straight to it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he no, knows I, one. I can't actually say the whole thing, but I'll let you fill the words in. So we had a young player playing in the forward line, big, big key position player, but he was lazy. Like he, he tried to hide at training. And we played this game at Waverley. We, we must have got beaten. We came in. We're in the change rooms after the game and Mick sort of gave a few people a bit of a spray. That wasn't good. And then he went, and you, when you die on your tombstone, it will say, here lies the laziest that ever played football. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we'd lost and we we're all like just trying to hold back out. When after, you die. Yeah, yeah, nah. When you, you die. No, it's not going well. It's like on your tombstone. He had it all written out. This yeah, is what it will say. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was good. It, it was actually good. gives me a little memory. Um, late in Wush's coaching career, we were playing at Sydney and, um, oh, fuck, it was a good setup. You're going around the room and you're picking blokes out. And I was a very young, Will Scober skinny still. So I remember you going, Emma's, how many games you played, Emma's? And Emma's sort of sat there thinking, I don't know. And he said, Emma's, tell me how many games you played. Tell me. And he said, he got it right, 200, 234, whatever he played, 234. Oh, so you are fucking counting them because what you've just fucking done there, you've just put out a game and you're just counting the games you're playing. <laughs> you are counting them. And you know exactly how many you've played. Emma's like shivering his head. <laughs> Yes, Wusha. Yes, Wusha. <laughs> um, uh, Chippy88. Uh, is it true you made Adrian Fletcher square up on a derby mid-game? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think he was, Adrian Fletcher at that point had moved to Fremantle, but he was a Brisbane player prior, and my brother roomed with him when, when they were living in Brisbane. And then my brother got the flick after 30 games, came back and was playing for South Fremantle, um, you know, for 50 bucks a game. <laughs> and he said to me, hey, you know, Adrian Fletcher, he never chipped in, like, for that bond money that we paid, you know, or he took all the bond money and hadn't sent me my half <laughs> when, we, when, when I had to move back to Perth. And I'm going, well, Adrian Fletcher's now played 150 AFL games, getting paid well, and my brother's earning 50 bucks at South Fremantle. Leave it with me, Pete. So, <laughs> anyway, 
I was meant to be playing full back, and uh, so Mick had named me on Paul Pios at full back, and Fletcher was playing in the midfield. So I said to Guy McKenna, Bluey, do you mind just starting at full back? I just want to start on the half back flank because I feel like I'm a bit out of the action here. <laughs> so. Anyway, Mick's looking, as we go out and we're in our position, Mick's going, what? why is Bluey <laughs> in the goal square and Woosher up there? And they bounced the ball and the ball rolled out to the wing and Fletcher was after it. There was a pack and I was in the pack <laughs> and I had him by the throat again. <laughs> Could have got done for throat grabbing. <laughs> it's your and, special uh, move. Yeah, I just said, mate, you owe my brother 200 bucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> sort it out. He <laughs> yeah. was like, now? Do you uh, take pay yeah. pass? Nah, Fletch. Fletch laughs about it. Uh, he says um, he went and wrote a check at quarter time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, very good, Bush. Um, you may know this one. Ryan Davis, 39. Yes, uh, I do know Ryan Davis. Got a couple of questions for so you. Why, why couldn't you lift your knees over the bamboo sticks during a beach session in the preseason? Uh, that's because he'd been hitting them before me. <laughs> he couldn't get his legs over them. What's he talking about? Oh, you remember... Yes. He did the SAS thing down there. I do remember. On These the way back, uh, so we, we did this. I took the players down to torture them, basically, with the SAS <laughs> guys. Uh, and they, they, took, they had these bamboo poles they had to do these activities with from um, pretty much Swanbourne Beach. Trig, North Trig. Yeah, all the way to Cottesloe uh, and then did exercise there and then all the way back in the soft sand over the rocks and, and things like that. So these bamboo poles were just torturing uh, so on the way back, you had to, with your partner, put the bamboo, kneel down and put it on one knee, you know, so it's like that height. So there'd be 25 of them or something. And then the back two had to jump over the wall and get to the front and get down. And it, we just did that all the way back. Yeah. And if, like, we were buggered. And I mean, mind you, I was the coach and I got sucked into doing it. I went down there just to watch and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got there... Uh, the guy who was going to run it for us, Salty, came up and said, uh, oh, the, the doc said, oh, we don't think this guy can do it. He's got a tight hamstring. And Salty came straight up and went, we're one short, you're in. <laughs> and I'm like, mate, I just had a big lunch. I'm not planning on doing this, but I had to jump in and do it with him. So, um, Didn't yeah, you on do the it? way back, like, your legs are that heavy and I couldn't get over these bamboo poles. <laughs> taking, I was, my shins were bleeding, but so were his. <laughs> Ryan's were bleeding as well. Didn't he you do both calves and you were just snapping the bamboo sticks? That's all no, I remember. No, no. You were no. just walking. You weren't even lifting your legs. But I just, no, I, I got over them, but I do remember at one point I, was, I got to the front, shins bleeding, got down to my knee and I was about to vomit. And one of the little SAS bikes just saw me and obviously saw I was like, and he went, you're not going to vomit, are you, whoosh And then like I'm swallowing it. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Tyson Stengler on with his toast uh, yeah. in 2006 grand final. Ryan Davis, 39, has got a second question uh, for how you. How did it feel be, uh, beating Tony Knott in a 2K time trial? Yeah. <laughs> Tony, <laughs> yeah, Tony Knott. Um, Knott. Yeah. Jeff Boy, famous Swan District. What a great player too. For like He's had a sensational career in the, uh, in the waffle. But yeah, big Tony struggled on those 2K time trials. So <laughs> I don't claim that one too hard. But I did beat a couple of other players as well over my period. You ran, I remember you running a 2K time trial and you beating players. Yeah, yeah. No. So what's going on? Why, were, why would I have done it if I wasn't going to beat someone? I was <laughs> like, oh, I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to do it and hurt myself and come, come last. dead last. <laughs> This one's, a, this one's an interesting one. Uh, Van Pap underscore. Uh, which Eagles team had the best backline? Um, 
Yeah, I think the... the I'll give you three, the three premiership teams. Which one was the best back line? Oh, sorry, four. 92, yeah. 94, 06, 18. Um, I think 92 was the best, yeah. Why? Um, like McIntosh, best and fairest winner, All-Australian. Jakovic, four times best and fairest winner, multiple All-Australian. Brass McKenna. McGovern. I'll give you Brass McGovern. Has Barras got an All-Australian yet? Or not yet. Scra- not yet. Oh, He's well, got a best and fairest. Don't even throw their names up. He's got a best and fairest. McGovern, five-time All-Australian. McKenna, All-Australian. Couple of Hearn. Ferris. Hearn. Yeah, no, he's a good player. Um, <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> Keep going. You're in it. So, Worsfold. I'll give you Schofield. Worsfold, Schofield. McKenna, Hart. Um, Who's your runner and your, and your, and your line breaker? Lewis Jetta's right here. I McKenna, know he's right here. McKenna. There he is, Luke, right here. Luke, <laughs> don't goes. offend him right <laughs> here. He's McKenna. Up. McKenna. McKenna. Yeah. And uh, Mate, David McKenna, Hart. McKenna David Hart. No, McK- he didn't play 92, so I can't bring him into Jufa it. Sorry, not, Jufa wouldn't hold Jets' handbags, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Tell him that. Uh, <laughs> Tell I, him that. I, I actually, being facetious, so uh, yeah. probably got us. I think 92. I, I try to look at it objectively. objectively I know, but, um, obviously. It was, a, yeah, it was a good lineup. That whole team touches up all those other premiership teams. So don't, forget about the back line, mate. We do this. So we got premiership reunions. Yeah, couple of things to tell you. Um, so we do premiership reunions. We got uh, 1994, 06, and 18's just been invited. So thanks for inviting us down, mate. Yeah. We've only, we only won it five years ago. Um, <laughs> so we've got a horse, and it's racing on our premiership reunion day. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. So you're going to back it? Absolutely. So we do you're a couple. Back of it with the, like our syndicate, syndicate money? money. Yeah, Ooh. we are, and we're going to show you up. Uh, two questions no, to go. Um, Remember, we bet in lines, so the back line bet together. I'm with That's you right. on that one, mate. So I, yeah, I remember you sinking the ship last year, and it wasn't good. Uh, Kaz, Kaz Barokin. Uh, do you like the nickname The Smiling Assassin? Um, yeah, it doesn't get used a lot, that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I was happy that, like, if, if especially Victorians, if they, if they were thinking that about me, um, I was pretty happy, yeah. The Eggman. Finishes uh, off. How do you like your eggs cooked? Sincerely, the Eggman. Ah, oh, um, I I like eggs anyway. I'll take whatever's coming. So um, I'm yeah, I'm not one of these fussy egg yeah. eaters. Whatever's whatever's going. Boiled, take it. Boiled, poached, <laughs> fried, yeah. flipped, not flipped, soft, omelette, whatever. A big thank you to Whippersnapper Whiskey. Uh, a big thank you to Agilis Global Risk Management. A big thank you to Working Paws Australia, raising money for them. A huge thank you to Fleet Network, who are powering Backchat this year. Our sponsors, Whippersnapper Distillery, of course. Mugger River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras, Swimply. Um, if you're a patron in here, well done. Thank you for coming along tonight. A big thank you to Whippersnapper and everyone putting the night on. And a huge thank you, everybody. To John Worsfold. Thank you. We're going to take a short five-minute break. We're going to turn the cameras off. We're going to have a chat. A couple more things from Woosher, and then we're going to get him off to bed because he did specifically tell me that he likes to be tucked in before, I don't know, 9.30. <laughs> um, like, like I told you before, he's a soft, soft man somewhere deep inside. <laughs> I like getting up early. That's more that right. than going to bed early, but they need to go together. Yes, Correct. No. Uh, Woosher, have you had fun, mate? Yeah, it's been good. Thank you. Thank very you good. Thank you very much, guys. That's us done dusted.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.